0: Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their on boss. Here's
1: your host Johnny FD.
0: Willkommen zur neuen Episode vom Reisen wie ein Boss Podcast. Heute mit Johnny FD und wir reden über ein typisch deutsches Thema
1: Krankenversicherung. <lacht> Hallo, super. Dankeschön. Um
0: now I confused Johnny, <laughs> but uh, let's
1: not confuse the, uh, the audience. We switch back to English. No, we're going to do this whole episode in German. Welcome to the Travel Lego like Boss podcast. This is episode 216, and I am here with Christoph Holmberg. Hol- I don't know how to say your name. <laughs> so then let's keep it a secret. No, nein. Okay. So uh, Christoph uh, is from Germany. If you guys haven't heard yet, and one of the things that a lot of European digital nomads and location independent entrepreneurs, you know, business owners always ask is what type of tax breaks can we have as Europeans? Um, What do we do if we're traveling outside of our country and we lose our health insurance? Uh, Like what's, what is the difference between, you know, for Americans, is it, is it better or worse? And for me, I actually always thought it was better for Europeans because you guys can be out of the country for just, I think half of the year while we have to be out for 11 months. So I kind of wanted to dive in deep to all these things, uh, talk about some other things like health insurance as well. But uh, first off, uh, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. And I hope I can uh, answer most of your questions, at least from my very own experience and uh, experience I have uh, from talking to other digital nomads all over the world, uh, coming from different countries. And yeah, actually, uh, you guys with the American passport uh, are together with the Eritreans, uh, those two in the world um, with the, the biggest issues when it comes to taxation Um, traveling the world. It's much easier for Europeans, yeah.
1: Okay, awesome. That's good to hear. Well, for you guys, not really for us. (laughs) But uh, if you guys want to know more about the kind of U.S. taxes, you can go back and listen to the episode with Grace Taylor on uh, U.S. tax laws. Also, on YouTube, if you look for Nomad Summit Grace Taylor, she did talk about that. But today, we're really going to talk about Europeans. If you're American, don't worry. You're still going to enjoy this episode because... If nothing else, we're going to see how crappy we have it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but also, uh, if you thought about uh, as a US citizen now, okay, I switch off or switch to the next episode. Actually, there is something in this episode that might be super interesting for you, especially if you do business with Europe, because we have uh, different topics today. And sure, uh, European uh, taxing and tax schemes is one. Um, Health insurance is something I want to talk about as well. But uh, actually, the the, uh, occasion how Johnny and me met was about my other passion, um, which is talking about Estonian e-residency.
1: Is this something... Kind of before we dive into all of it, is this something that would benefit Australians or Canadians or people from other countries? Yes, of course. Okay. All right. So keep listening. Uh, Let's get started. (laughs) No, but seriously. um, So can we get a little background on you? Like where are you from? Where are you living now? What do you do for work? Yeah, sure.
0: So my name is Christoph Hübner. Um, Now to unveil the, the right pronunciation. And uh, actually, my name is originally written with some special German characters, an umlaut U, uh, but you wouldn't find me um, to that, uh, with that on, on Facebook. So is that the O with the two dots on top? Uh, no, it's the U, uh, the U with the two dots oh, that wow. makes it an U, uh, which also um, is present in, in many other European languages like Hungarian or Estonian. They have O, u, as well and the hungarians even have uh, short and long versions so um, just dots or even uh, some kind of uh, slashes on on top of that so
1: yeah like a slash to an o or something
0: yeah in my case it's just a u with two dots which makes it an u but basically germans then often write it if they don't have the u on their keyboard ue and that's oh, how you wow. find me on facebook twitter uh, and okay. everywhere.
1: So that's a fun fact for anyone who ever wondered about those weird characters that we don't have in normal English. Uh, Fun kind of trivia is, you know, the, do you know how to spell Haagen-Dazs, the ice cream brand? (laughs) Yeah, which is
0: um, uh, acting like being Danish, but it's American and they just came up with a brand because they thought people would uh, like it more.
1: Yeah, it's funny because if you ask any Danish person... They always think it's a German brand. Oh, is it? And everyone else thinks it's Danish or European or something. But yeah, it was just invented in New York. And <laughs> they're just yeah. like, uh, let's make it a fence. How, how are we going to charge $5 for a little tiny thing of ice cream? Oh, let's make it European. Yeah, and actually the the Danish do good ice cream. You wouldn't expect
0: that uh, from a country so far um, north of Italy. But uh, they are they are well known for Danish ice cream, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Haagen-Dazs is really good. It's I would say it's the best American ice cream for sure.
0: I'm not into big brands in ice cream. I really like these uh, local manufacturers with uh, really strange uh, flavors. Um, so if I if I, I I'm I'm not that uh, strawberry chocolate and vanilla ice cream guy. Um, I take uh, the one. Uh, I, I mean, I've once been in Iceland in Reykjavik in an uh, ice cream parlor, and they had uh, mother's milk ice cream. I think that was the strangest stuff I, I ever had. Together with That's black so licorice disgusting. ice cream.
1: That is so disgusting. Who, who was the mother? I don't know. Oh my god! I'd want to at least see a photo of whose breast milk I'm eating. <laughs> oh, this is really bad. <laughs> okay, let's change topics again. I was actually I was just starting to talk about
0: who I am and my background, and then we ended up this. <laughs> we, okay, so uh, my name is is Chris. Um, I am now 36 years old. Uh, originally coming from Germany, grew up in in southern Germany. Used to live in Berlin for the last 10 years before I left Germany, and um, yeah, since then I'm a perpetual traveler and. Um, digital nomad, if you will. So some people struggle with that term. And um, in most of the cases, I would just call me nomad and and, uh, traveling entrepreneur. Um, I earn my money in the insurance industry. So actually, I run a little company in in Germany that specialized in children's health insurance plans for the German market. So we are a little team of uh, six now. So it's my my, uh, managing, co-managing director, my business partner and me and four employees and we all work fully remotely so the team is distributed over europe i'm the only one uh, currently outside of europe but the others are um, in spain and portugal um, or this weekend um, spending it uh, in the alps for skiing and once in a week uh, on on wednesday morning we have our team meeting on google hangout uh, but that's uh, Basically, uh, the, the one regular meeting where we see each other. And then twice a year, we meet for one-week team event somewhere in Europe. And that's the
1: next um,
0: next physical appointment in my calendar is in May in Spain when I meet my team.
1: Oh, that's cool. And Do you guys always pick a random place to meet in, in Europe or how, how, like where have you guys been in the past? So um, four times a year, uh, or at least the last years, it was four times
0: a year. This year it's going to be only two times. uh, We go to baby trade shows in major German cities. That's just a weekend. And uh, then we connect that team uh, event, team meeting to that. So our last long team meeting was in November in Berlin. Um, and there we decided uh, for next time we're going to be in uh, in Spain, in Andalusia in, in May, and um, we will meet again in, in fall, where is still open, no idea, um, but what we also going do to do in addition is uh, we want to accomplish a half marathon with a full team, and as this uh, did not come from um, from us as founders, but from the middle of the, the crew, um, we fully support that and, and we're going to uh, pay for that and have a, a long weekend. Uh, as it looks like in September in in the Netherlands, we do the Halve van Harlem half marathon in, in Haarlem near Amsterdam. And that's a, a third time we meet outside of the business, uh, the baby intro, um,
1: um, the baby shows yeah yeah baby trade shows so i think that's that's really cool that you guys have a remote distributed team I, I really believe that this is the future of working in it's just in general and also to be honest smaller companies i think are so much more efficient than large corporations where no one really knows each other number one but also no one really knows what each other is doing or really cares about what what their job role is they're kind of just there for a paycheck versus a kind of a small to a medium team it feels like everyone takes a bit of personal personal responsibility. You know, everyone has a bigger role where they kind of feel like they're they're accomplishing something or what they're doing matters. And then having, you know, the weekly Skype calls, but also, more importantly, the in-person meetups, I think that's a really big benefit.
0: Yeah, and actually, these uh, weekly meetings are not, like, Uh, strict business meetings with an agenda or something Um, because we know we lack of those uh, talks at the coffee machine that you usually have when you when you work with your team in the in the same building Um, we often started for the first 15-20 minutes or even half an hour just talking about random private stuff uh, where we currently hang out show them or tell them what we did the weekend and things like that before we start into uh, business conversations
1: yeah and i think that's really helpful and and healthy for for coworker relationships for people to know each other on kind of a more personal level. And actually next week's guest, uh, Lydia Machovics, I, I still, I can't say her name either, but she was a, one of the speakers at Nomad Summit. She has a team, a remote distributed team on Slovakia, and they're going to be meeting in Greece somewhere at, you know, for their meetup. So I think it's um, really cool that there are so many entrepreneurs who are traveling full time, but are running companies with employees you know that are really making a, a difference and allowing their employees to work remotely as well. Um. Yeah, I've I've talked about that
0: with Lydia as well, but I'm not quite sure if uh, her team, if they're uh, employed uh, with regular employment contracts to her company or if they're like freelancers. Um, And most companies who have uh, remote teams, um, they they have freelancers Um, as we are dealing with in an industry uh, that's quite regulated and restricted. uh, We only may um, have full employees uh, talking to the customers. So the insurance um, uh, consultancy and sales process uh, is very strictly regulated. um, And yeah, that means we, we must have the on a company paycheck with social insurance and and all that stuff, which is kind of of rare uh, with remote companies. Um, but we really wanted to do that from the beginning as uh, this remote work is in the DNA of our company. So when I started with that, with my business partner, uh, actually in 2010, um, we registered the company where he is uh, usually located. Um, but that has been 600 kilometers away from where I used to live. And so uh, even with us too, as as founders working inside that company, there was never something like sitting together on a desk on a daily basis and when we hired our first employee which is just a bit more than one year ago so the the first uh, six and a half years this company was more a bit like a like a hobby and a passion where we thought there might be some some business in it and we still believed and reinvested every money every every euro that came in into some marketing experience and most of them failed for many years But in 2017, um, things started to work. And end of 2017, we hired our first one. Um, First January 2018, our second one. First of November um, 2018, our third one. And now first of January uh, this year, 2019, our fourth, fourth employee. Um, and it was from the beginning clear. This is, or actually, before we hired our first one, we discussed: um, hmm, do we do we now start to open up an office? Do we want to provide a desk and a chair and things like that? And we were quite sure: no, we don't. Um, let's see if it works to try and hire um, digital nomads. And um, actually, this did not go in the way we expected. We actually uh, published a a job offer for uh, we call it the digital nomad for children's health insurance, and we expected to find some some students with some insurance background because you need to have uh, some official certificates uh, of your job education and it's like a like a diploma, and uh, it's quite common in the industry that people uh, make this uh, graduation and then do something else, like study some some real thing. Um, and so we expected to find uh, some students who see this as a student job that they can take to a foreign sem- semester without needing to, to cancel it. Um, but actually, that didn't happen at all. Yeah, I can imagine
1: that the location-dependence and, you know, the remote jobs are something that people don't really know they want until they've worked in corporate for a year or two. And then they realize, I don't want this. And then maybe they'll go off on their own to, you know, try to start their own business. And a lot of people will realize it's hard to start a business. It's a lot of work up front for no guarantee pay. I mean, pretty much every entrepreneur in the world that I've ever met, like hundreds of people, worked for, you know, two to six months if you know, or a few years with zero pay or even it, it's costing them money to build the business in hopes that it eventually will pay off. And there's a lot of people in the world that it's just not in their personality to want to take that risk. You know, they don't enjoy building the business. They don't want to take the risk. They would rather have the steady guaranteed paycheck of being an employee or a remote worker. And I, I don't judge them for it because I, I think in a lot of ways it's It's equally, if not smarter sometimes to just be like, all right, I want the freedom of being able to work remotely, but I'm not, I don't want the responsibilities of starting a business from scratch.
0: That's uh, one side of the metal, but the other side is that we um, attract a total different kind of people uh, than we we had thought in the beginning, um, which is much more senior people than we had expected. So um, the employees we hired are, let's say, uh, 10 to 20 years older than uh, what we uh, originally had in mind. So they have 10 to 20 years of um, uh, work and business experience. They have seen the world um, and they have uh, children themselves now. So our first employee is a a single father uh, living uh, in in southern Germany most of the time with his now, I think, uh, five-year-old son. And he wanted a job that he can uh, do whenever he wants, from wherever he wants, and where well, he could also uh, somehow utilize his professional background in, in the industry. Um, and also, our our second employee is a mother uh, living in in Portugal with her husband and her now six years old daughter. And that's pretty much the same. So these are really senior people uh, who have their master's degree uh, or are even working on their PhD now. I, I'm not supposed to tell that to, not to put too much pressure on her. Uh, but um, actually, that's part of the of her background, and that's really a cool thing because. Um, now we have employees who can talk to our customers on an eye level. And that's also something that makes uh, us kind of unique in our in our niche, in our industry. So insurance industry usually worldwide works like you have um, your local uh, agents or brokers around the corner. And if you have any kind of insurance need, you walk up to their office and you can be quite sure if they're good salespeople. Um, then you come out with the policy for the contract you wanted and to others. So um, they will for sure try to uh, to get you another insurance plan or something else they have in their shelf. And um, yeah, what what's really unique uh, with us at the moment, we don't know any other company in the German market that uh, goes the opposite way. Focus on just one niche, one product and makes it part of the promise to the customers. We make children's health insurance and nothing else actually this and nothing else is an important part of our claim and sometimes confuses our customers when they got their children's health insurance plan with us and then come back as as a customer which they are then and ask if we would uh, get an insurance plan for their car or whatever and we just reject and say no we don't we focus on what we what we want to do what we can do where we became experts in the meantime and where we have the access and all the background experience uh, that's necessary and we focus on that and actually um that's part of our success because google likes that a lot if you're an expert in something and uh, have
1: seen like everything
0: uh, that can happen
1: yeah i definitely see that and also see that for people who have had a professional career but now they have kids they might want to trade you know the corporate job with the office job to be at home to be able to to work from anywhere they want to be able to live in portugal where it's warmer than germany you know to be able to to live, you know, and work where their husband or wife has relocated to, maybe, or where the where the kids are going to school, and in general, it's, it's I think this is a, a big kind of future of remote work. It's not just for young digital nomads who want to backpack of the world and travel and and work in Thailand and Bali and Colombia, but families or you know or single parents that don't want to send their kids to a, a babysitter and they want to be able to work from home while still earning money.
0: Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, um, our employees—they save so much time on commuting every day um, with uh, uh, with a train somewhere, one hour to to an office, and something like that—and um, still uh, earn some decent money. So yeah, this is this is a good deal for for both of us.
1: So, so I really like that. And um, but I guess to focus more on the people who want to travel, because that's the the audience that. Are, you know is listening to this podcast is there's a lot of benefits to be able to work remotely and not live in your home country whether it's Germany or the US or Australia
0: yeah and that's uh, now my exotic role in our little company so my my co-founder is about 15 years older than me and he's in a situation in his life where he's he's living in an area where he grew up but now as his uh, daughter is out of the house she's 19 or i think 20 now um, studying somewhere else and he's always looking at what i do to to Copy that. And what I do is I have uh, um, signed off from Germany. I'm not a resident anymore in Germany and also not a tax resident. I left everything behind that uh, through a shadow and did not fit into my suitcase. I uh, applied for Estonian e-residency, opened up my personal company in Estonia. Um, fully remote, digital, and um, that company now is the, my vehicle for, for all kind of business activities. So it's my holding structure um, and owns my shares in the German company. Um, it builds uh, the German company for my managing director's um, efforts every month, but also I use it uh, for all kind of personal business activities I do um, while I'm traveling the world.
1: So Okay, so let's let's kind of break it down for for everyone because I think one of the the confusions that happened to a lot of people is they're just starting. You know, some people are just starting out and they're thinking, what should I what should I do for Americans? It took me a long time to figure out, but especially with the help of Grace Taylor and her talk, uh, but also just going through it myself for so many years. Now the kind of really easy, straightforward advice I give people is if you're just starting out and you're not making any money, it doesn't matter because you're not really paying taxes anyways. You know, at least for Americans, uh, and I'm. And so I'll, I'll basically, I'll quickly go through what I'll, what advice I would give Americans as kind of like the easiest thing to do, the kind of medium thing, and then kind of the advanced thing to take advantage of the most. And then maybe we can break that down for Europeans as well or yeah, non-Americans. Yeah,
0: that's, uh, that's a good idea. And I also um, kick in with uh, why maybe an Estonian entity makes a lot of sense for American guys as
1: well. Okay, nice. So um, basically, if you're making zero to... Maybe even fifty grand a year uh, in the U.S. Your tax burden is probably not going to be that high. Maybe not fifty grand. Let's say that you're making from zero to thirty grand or something. You're, the tax burden isn't going to be that high. At most, you're paying like let's say you know three to six thousand dollars a year. You can kind of just leave your your business the way it is as a sole proprietor, which is kind of the automatic. You're doing business under your name. You're paying a little bit of tax. It's easy. You don't really have to worry about it. The next step, if you're making a bit more and you're like, okay, I really don't want to pay this three to six grand a, a year, or you know, or uh, you're making a lot more and you don't want to um, pay you know ten to, to twenty grand, then I recommend everyone move out of their state into a tax-free state. So from from for example, I moved out of California to Texas. Uh, you can also move to Florida or Nevada or Washington. That way, the state income tax goes to zero. And then um, the next step is if you're making, if you're out of the country. For 11 months of the year then you can qualify for something called the foreign earned income exclusion where you basically don't need to pay federal tax on the first hundred thousand you make and all you'd have to pay for is social security and medicaid which is called self-employment tax so if you're making you know a hundred grand or something uh it makes a lot of sense to move out of a tax state take advantage of the foreign earned income exclusion uh, and then now instead of paying thirty thousand dollars a year in tax You're just paying, let's say maximum 15, uh, 15, uh, thousand, which is still a lot, but it's, it's half, um, and no California tax. So you save another 10,000 then kind of level three would be if you're making a lot of money where you just don't even want to pay that 15,000, which I understand, which I didn't want to pay either. Then you can basically do everything I just mentioned, but take it a step further and open a company outside of the U.S., so what they call an international business company. I opened mine in Belize, so now everything gets funneled through that company. That company pays me $100,000, and now I basically don't need to pay, uh, really, any tax up yeah, to 100 grand.
0: Yeah, so actually paying a salary through a foreign um, entity is the key to avoid the uh, US national uh, self-employment tax. So you only pay that if you run your business as a self-employed registered US um, citizen. But if you have a legal entity between uh, your customers and you that pays you as a natural person then a, a salary, you don't have to pay the US self-employed uh, tax on that uh, but that's a thing that's not relevant for people who don't have a u.s or eritrean citizenship so who are not uh, taxed based on their
1: citizenship but on the territory where they spend most of their time so i've spoken to a lot of you know non-americans like let's say europeans for example to make it easy and this is kind of the same thing i tell them if you're not making money it doesn't really matter because you're not paying tax anyways but once they are making a, good, like a, a bigger amount of money where they are worried about the tax, there's something that they can do where if they're just out of the country for six months in one day, they can start qualifying for some kind of tax break. Do, do you know what that is?
0: Actually, it's different in every jurisdiction. And... Um I I think it's most uh, complex. No, it's not most complicated in Germany. But um, in in Germany, the rules are basically: um, it's not the the number of days that you're outside of the company, uh, outside of the country, uh, or this or that. It's uh, let's say some indications. uh, If they match, um, then in the end, it's quite obvious that you're not a tax resident or you are. So the first thing is uh, you officially sign off. Um, and uh, that's something that uh, is is a thing in in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, where we have a very strict regime on registering uh, people who live at the uh, place. So. If you if you live in if you move from one city to the other, um, people in the German-speaking countries are used to, or they they have deep in their blood and feeling, they know the first thing they need to do is to go to the local authority and uh, register at the new place. Um, and so, uh, signing off
1: is the is the first step. So, when you say signing off, do you mean you you go to this office and you say I no longer live in Germany?
0: That's basically it, yeah. And actually, as complicated as German taxation is overall, signing off is the, uh, as far as I know, the easiest
1: thing all over Europe. But let's say you're, you're going to live in Thailand. But you're not actually a resident of Italian. Can you still sign off? And that's the good thing about Germany. So if you if you want to do
0: that step as a French or Spanish citizen, um, the the French or Spanish authorities won't let you go if you can't prove that you are a resident and tax resident somewhere else. So basically, the um, the way you it works is if you are a European citizen with the right of free movement within the European Union, um, then as a Spanish or French guy or wherever you come from you go to Germany you sign on there Uh, so you go to the German authorities and tell them I'm living here now then one week later you will get your official tax ID uh, to that address and um, with these documents you can prove to Spain, France, wherever that you are now a German tax resident and the week after that you go to the German uh, office and tell them i'm not here anymore and they don't ask questions so far i mean maybe this jurisdiction or this uh, this legislation might change in the future but not
1: in the near future okay and let's you sign off of germany can you still go back to visit how like how long can you stay in germany per year
0: Uh, as long as I want so signing off and not having a registered address in Germany does not mean I'm giving up my citizenship or any other rights so I'm still German I still have my German passport um, and uh, the only thing I should be careful when it comes to tax residency is then the other indicators so the first indicator is not being registered second one is um, of course not staying more than half of the year in the country um, but also not having a uh, apartment or house um, or basically a key to um, some kind of uh, um, apartment that's only dedicated to me. Um, So you can have a rented apartment if you uh, rent it out long term to someone else. Um, so basically the the question around it is is the the center of your life your actual life in germany or not so if you let's say if you're married to someone who's still living in germany or even if you have children in germany going to school there
1: um, then authorities won't believe you that easy that uh, they're staying in germany but you are not Yeah. okay that makes sense so a lot of nomads come to thailand just for a month and then they realize hey I want to stay here for longer do they have to fly back to Germany to sign off or do you know if you can do that, do that online
0: um, it's different in every federal state in Germany but what you can do for sure is uh, a letter or uh, very famous in Germany is a fax I don't know if you remember that thing from the 80s mm-hmm. but uh, especially in my in my industry insurance industry and in all public uh, authority public services uh, communication fax is a big thing still in 2019 believe it or
1: not well luckily there's efax.com now
0: (laughs) yeah there, there are many ways to to transfer a fax digitally um to an authority that then prints it out on paper
1: okay perfect so one of the worries though that a lot of my european friends had they said well i would like to do that but then i lose my health insurance is that true
0: that's uh that's the other big topic we want to talk about today um it's true uh, when you are so far only in the in a public system and um, that's uh, a thing where Europe is might be a bit advanced over uh, many other developing countries like the US um, we have public health insurance systems in place that really cover you from uh, from your birth uh, to your death and that really pay for severe um, severe diseases uh, cancer treatments diabetes and stuff and so um, yes if you are not uh, registered and not living anymore in in Europe then um, this automatically ends and these kind of public health insurances don't cover you in Asia so they covered you in other European countries for for most of the cases, as long as you're traveling and as long as you're paying for them. But um, uh, outside of the European Union or the European uh, single market area, you are not covered by these pumps.
1: Oh, so you wouldn't be covered anyway. So if you were planning to live in Thailand for a year, by even by having it still and even paying into it back in Europe or back in Germany, you wouldn't have gotten the benefit because if you got sick here in Thailand... It wouldn't have covered any anyways, right?
0: Not here. Uh, for this case, it, so the, the lowest um, step in in this staircase is uh, you should have a travel insurance okay you can get them cheap and uh, especially if it's travel only so covering like up to 90 days of travel uh, you often have them with your credit cards even uh, included or uh, you buy them for for less than 60 euros a year and but the main uh, the only thing that they do is uh, they cover uh, emergency costs uh, at the place and um, if you have something severe they fly you back so you don't have a full coverage here. And if you have something, um, that, um, that needs an ongoing treatment, um, then they fly you back.
1: Yeah. And then you're screwed because if you had signed off, they fly you back, but you don't have any coverage back yeah. in germany
0: yeah so uh, in that case uh, you need another s- solution a more sustainable solution and then this depends on how long you plan to travel so if you are a, a nomad just taking uh, your-, your plan for the life is to take some five years off and then go back to your jurisdiction um or settle down somewhere where is a, a public system in place then it's An okay idea to sign up with some international uh, health insurance, um, like Signa for your safety wings and whatever they are called. But if you have a long-term plan of being a nomad, maybe until the rest of your life, and don't want to be dependent on any state
1: and and government system, then you need another solution. Okay. So, is it pretty easy then if you sign off and then you go back a year from now and you say, okay, I want to live here again and want my health insurance back. Um, in Germany it's relatively easy. Um, so if you
0: if your last uh, full um, health insurance before you left Germany was the public one then The public one has to uh, take you back in again when you arrive, but there's some exceptions. So, there are reasons why you why they offer you a plan in this case is um, that you pay an ongoing fee every month uh, to uh, to keep the right to, to go back into that. Um, and that's, for example, uh, especially relevant for the care part of it. So, the health insurance itself they have to take you back, uh, but the care does not. So, if you if, if something severe happens to you abroad and you come back to a ca- as a care case, then you might be fucked. Well, what's a care case? Yeah, you get, uh, let's say, um, you get a severe um, uh, injury and you need to be taken care of on a daily basis.
1: Like you oh, can't wash yourself anymore okay. and, and things like that. You need to be fed. So when you're signing off saying, okay, I'm going to Thailand for two years. I'm signing off. I'm not living in Germany now you can opt to then say, okay, but I want to pay a monthly fee or yearly fee so I have the right to get it again when I come back? Yeah. Do you know how much that is?
0: That's uh, uh, um, around 50 to 60 euros.
1: Okay. Yeah, but I guess it's an expense that people don't wouldn't want to pay, but at the end of the day, it's it's worth it. And that's only Germany. And now we are
0: talking about uh, that. I, I think that's... Um, <clears throat> Um, a minor percentage of people who are coming from the German public system um, living as a nomad for several years with a plan to come back. Because, I mean, in reality, um, if you talk to these nomads everywhere, especially those uh, who are traveling for for more than a year, um, they have discovered uh, so nice places in the world. And at first, they want to see more of them. And at second, uh, going back to where they originally come from um, might not be the, the highest priority anymore on the list.
1: You know, at first I was going to disagree. I was going to say, oh, most people are just going to do it for a year or two. And then they're gonna like, oh, all right, I'm going to go back to my normal life. But for some reason, I think Germans specifically, I, I think I agree with you that they will never go back. Is it is it only Germans? I mean,
0: do you know anybody who had a nomad life for five, six years and then said, okay,
1: enough for me. I'm going back to the U.S. or? Very few. I know a few have been have moved back to the US but even they are in the US for now but yeah just
0: on a temporary basis yeah
1: and you know some of them have said okay you know I'm going to stay here for at least a couple years but v- it's it's actually almost weird how once people kind of taste freedom and and find other cool countries that they're like "Ah, i don't really need to live back in my home country there's Mm -hmm. other places
0: yeah i I had this discussion over the last uh, couple of weeks several times and people asked me but don't you want to go back to germany maybe when you want to found a family or something and i said seriously when when i just look back at the places i've seen so far and on my list of places that i want to see next um if founding a family would be, a t- I mean, that I guess that's out of focus for the next two or three years minimum, and who knows what happens then. But um, if I, if that idea or that plan hits me hard, I think Germany. I, I had a great youth and childhood in Germany. Germany. I had a good education in public schools. Um, But that's the Germany I know from from 20 and 30 years ago. And um, I know that a lot has changed there and raising children now, as of today, I would say um, from the places I've seen so far, uh, Singapore is a really great place to raise children in a safe environment with good schools. um, And that might be uh, something I would consider. So leading back to the question before, if you meet Um, travelers or nomads who have had that life for several years and then want to settle down. I guess the biggest percentage of them uh, want to settle down in a place they've discovered during their travel, which is not uh, their origin and not their place where they started from. Okay,
1: so let's say someone is German. They sign off. They leave for two or three years, but then they move back to, let's say, Portugal or Spain. I I think something like that could be very common. Can they then sign on to the the Spanish or, the or Portuguese healthcare system? It
0: depends on the local jurisdiction, um, but uh, for example, I know it from Cyprus, uh, where it's quite easy. So you just have to be an uh, employee um, and pay some some social insurance from your salary, which is quite easy to, to construct. So you find found a uh, limited company in, in Cyprus, then get a salary from your own company pay uh,
1: the minimum amount and and then you're in the public system. That's easy. Okay. Do you, do you happen to know or to, to venture guess if someone went to Spain or do you know how they would even find that out? Once again? Like it's but let's say someone didn't want to move to Cyprus, they wanted to move to Spain or something. Do you have any idea how if it's possible for them to, you know, get free EU healthcare again or how they would find that out if they wanted to look?
0: I guess you need to consult some local uh, lawyers or experts or even, I mean, in the European Union, um, every uh, governmental uh, website and and regulation is available in English. So it's translated to all the other uh,
1: languages in in, uh, Europe. Because it's kind of a blessing and that for as an american we don't get healthcare anyways so it already sucks it sucks i mean i'd rather have n- nice free healthcare, but it's kind of a blessing because there's nothing to stop me from not living in the u.s because i'm like well the u.s isn't giving me anything anyways so by me just not being there i'm not losing anything but if i was a european and by saving you know by signing off and saying, okay, I don't live here now to take advantage of the tax savings by losing my free health insurance, that would freak me out. So, and I also wouldn't want to pay 50 to 60 euros or a hundred euros a month for the next five years if I'm not going to use it and live there. So I would be in a really tough situation. I would wonder, is it worth signing off on? Is it worth, um, you know, exploring this, you know, should I take the risk you You're smiling, so you must have a solution.
0: Um, Yeah, but not a cheap one. And also, the public solutions in Europe are basically not for free. Um, there are some countries like uh, the UK with their NHS system, um, where you don't actually pay directly, but it's being paid by the taxpayers. So in the end, if you pay taxes, or the the, the general community um, society pays for it. Um, but in most other countries, um, it's taken directly from your salary, or you pay for it if you're not employee, uh, if you're not employed. Um, then you are uh, a a volunteer or yeah, you, you you just opt for it and you get a price tag on it and you you pay for it. Um, but the public systems so far have the advantage that they don't do any health checks. Um, there's they don't check you on pre-existing conditions or something. They have to take everybody uh, by that means. Um, but what I originally wanted to refer to is um, if you have a really long-term plan, um, then you might want to make yourself independent of any government system um, because still they uh, we, we have this uh, problem. Of the uh, the society that changes, people get older, and or that the, the societies get older and older, and due to that, also the the costs of uh, healthcare uh, get higher and higher, and. Politicians with public systems have two options there. One is to to raise the price, and the other one is to lower the the, the service level. And this is happening. So in, in Germany, for example, uh, twenty years ago, the public systems paid for for glasses or for tooth replacements. It was just a normal uh, part of the the public insurance. Uh, but it is not anymore. And so they are cutting out um, uh, those things that are not necessary anymore to keep basically to keep people alive uh, or to treat. Uh, severe illnesses. If it's just to have uh, some nice shiny teeth, um, then you have to pay for that. Just
1: yeah, okay, that definitely makes sense. Uh, it's nice being in places like Thailand where the healthcare is really good and it's really cheap just to pay out of pocket. So that's kind of the the hack and the solution for Americans who are living here. At least is we kind of forget sometimes the purpose of health of healthcare or just insurance in general. The whole purpose of insurance is to protect ourselves against financial hardship if something happens. And the nice thing about Thailand is there is very, very few things that can happen where we'll be completely screwed financially and not be able to just pay for Because like, even if you break a leg, even if you get a heart attack here in, in Thailand, you can just pay for it in cash and it won't be that, that much. Yeah. But, but you know, that's not the severe
0: diseases I refer to. Yeah. I mean, um, the, those people who are watching the video version of this podcast now, they can see... Th- there's definitely I, no video <laughs> version, but if you were here... Uh, they can see the graph that I'm painting. Um, now, actually, um, it's um, it's a super logical thing, actually, uh, that uh, the health costs during your lifespan um, happen in, at, at the end of your life. So I talked to um, a senior person of a life insurance recently who told me one half of uh, all lifetime health costs um are just cost in the last two years of your life wow and uh here we are not talking about breaking a leg and and things like that uh we're talking about cancer treatments um which can easily cost uh, six figure numbers we are talking about things like old age diabetes where you need insulin um yeah. on a daily basis
1: um or or even
0: other things and you can't pay them out of your pocket in thailand either i guess
1: yeah i think it'll be very expensive to, to do in thailand i think it's it's possible. I haven't looked into the exact it of cost but I think it's relatively affordable so even to pay for that out of pocket. But it's funny that you mentioned that half of the costs are in the last two years of life because at least the way I feel now and you know things could change as I get older but in my mind now and I'm like you know what hey if I'm like 78 and I'm only going to live two years anyways I'm not going to spend 500 grand of my money or insurance money on trying to prolong this last two years let me just die like,
0: yeah but uh, the thing is at first uh, you always have the the will to live and you never know uh, when these two years start yeah
1: i don't know i mean i think that's a one of those kind of longer uh, philosophical you know things that are going to come up in the in the nomad community as this community matures because right now we're still a pretty young batch of people i mean the people in the nomad summit were you know on average 25 to 35. There were a few people a little bit older, few expats, but they kind of have the expat community where they talk about things like this, you know, because a lot of retiree, all retiree expats are 55 plus. You know, a lot of them in their 60s, 70s. So they talk about these things on their mess, their message boards, their Facebook groups. We almost never talk about these things.
0: i give you an example. So uh, this, I I really appreciated your talk at the Nomad Summit where you were talking about uh, saving for your uh, retirement and and building up that wealth that you need later on if you don't work anymore and have a real passive income. But as important is uh, the long-term health care. And uh, referring to that graph again that the people in the video podcast can see now. There's no video podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, as these, these costi- costs uh, appear in the end of your life, um, the thing with the current uh, Anglo-Saxonian uh, offers on the market for medical insurance is that they calculate their costs just on an every year's basis on an age group. And if you um, sign up for, for that in your 20s, you pay less than 100 euros a month, or even if you have a, a low-level plan, uh, you can maybe get that for 15 euros a month um because the costs in that age group mm-hmm. they're so they're low. minor. So yeah, maybe someone gets hit by a by a scooter here yeah. in Chiang Mai, and yeah, that's irrelevant. Um, the real costs happen later. And so the thing is, there, there are two two things with these plans and why I started the conversation with: if you have to, the idea of uh, having a nomad lifestyle for five years and then settle down somewhere, this is totally totally reasonable to have a contract like that. But uh, there are two reasons why this is uh, not a long-term solution. One is the the cost calculation on your age group. This means if you are now in your 30s, uh, you might be uh, able to afford that easily. But if you are in your 70s, you pay um, the costs of of the 70 years old people. And uh, that might be not affordable anymore. That's one thing. And the other thing um, is all these contracts are only on a 12-month basis. So they are recurring every 12 months if none of the both parties terminate that contract. And let's say if you get the diabetes and the insurance company knows, okay, I've paid a lot this year for, for Johnny's insulin. Um, I don't want to pay for that next year anymore. Then you end up screwed again. And so actually a long-term solution may only be one where the insurance company has no right to to end. Uh, your health insurance contract, because I mean, most people who I talk to about that topic, um, they are surprised and ask, "How come an insurance company uh, that I rely on for exactly these cases where I can't pay things out of my pocket anymore can terminate my contract when I when I pay uh, when I produce um, high costs?"
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that definitely makes sense. I mean, financially, I understand from their point of view, it's it's screwed up. Um, I guess the question would be, can someone when I mean, they turn, let's say, fifty? Four fifty-eight 58 or whatever and they know like hey i'm gonna need this pretty soon can they sign up for the long-term contract then
0: of course they can but it's gonna be very expensive then already
1: but would it be more expensive than if they had kept it like because i'm assuming every year the prices go up anyways right
0: i give you an example of my very own solution how i did that and maybe um, that yeah. inspires the one or the other i have um, so there's something very special in the in the German um, health insurance market, which is, um, and I think that's unique in in Europe or even worldwide. Um, we have a full public coverage uh, where basically everybody has to be in, and um, we have also the option. Um, if you meet certain criteria, so you earn uh, more than 60,000 euros a year or you are fully self-employed, then you can opt out of the public system and go fully private. So this is not like um, British NHS or other countries where you pay still in the public system and can buy an additional private insurance for all the stuff the public system does not cover. This is fully private. So from the uh, your your uh, painkillers uh, you get from uh, from the pharmacy to the severe um, diseases treatments. Um, it's all in the private system. And as um, this is private, private companies are free to um, offer you basically whatever, the, above a minimum standard, of course, offer what, uh, what you want, but also uh, there's some regulation. And that means, uh, coming back to that graph, <laughs> um, they have to calculate your prices um, on a uh, based on the system of life insurance so not like a damage insurance um, where you have age groups but they have to calculate your estimated um, uh, rest of life uh, time and the estimated costs they will have over this uh, period and then they have to basically uh, judge divide that by the number of months and give you your your monthly premium you pay okay. and that means um, if i would start um, I've just done a sample calculation yesterday because we had a, a big discussion going on in a German uh, digital Nomad um, uh, Facebook group about that. Um, if you start that with 31 years and you want a pr- full private health insurance that pays for everything and has unlimited worldwide coverage, you pay more than 600 euros a month, but you can be sure that this is the um, at first. This is the price you pay for the rest of your life. Oh so wow! This is not changing uh, by anything else uh, than uh, medical cost inflation. So there's nothing like an age group uh, okay. calculation. So it
1: might go up by two or three percent a year. Yes, but that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's good because and twenty years from now, six hundred bucks a month going to be nothing.
0: And the other thing is. Um, at least if you compare it with plans uh, by by these uh, Anglo-Saxonian companies where they have uh, price lists on their age group. And I've just mm-hmm. seen one today. A friend of mine sent me who's living in, a German guy living in, in China. He's paying currently about 100 uh, uh, euros a month or dollars. I, I don't know what the company was. And um, he sent me the price list of age groups, which already calculate uh, age group 70 and above is 500 uh, a month. But that's from today's perspective plus mm. inflation. Yeah. And so but this is the, the highest level you can get. I was just referring to the six hundred. Um, there is no deductible in that, and the, the highest possible uh, price level and for who, uh, and, and, and service level. And for who is interested, I can do name dropping here. Companies called Signal Iduna with their uh, brand Deutsche Ring, and uh, the plan is called Prime. That's the highest level you can get on the German market currently. But you can get it uh, lower with deductibles, and I, I come back to that later. Because th- the other thing I wanted to talk about is. Um, not only the price uh, calculated for the rest of your life, but also this insurance company has no right ever to kick you out. So once they have signed you on, they have no chance to get rid of you, even if you stop paying. If you stop paying your premiums, they at least have to uh, cover you in something like an emergency plan, which means they won't pay for your, your cle- uh, teeth cleansing anymore, uh, but for painkillers and, uh, and some cancer treatment. So they won't let you die, uh, even if you're not paying for them.
1: Okay. It's funny. I, mean, I think this is a really complicated topic. We can talk all day about this. Um, I think there's pros and cons of, of all of it. And I think it's at the end of the day, it's kind of like juggling like what is in our personal best interest versus what's in the best financial interest of the the total. Because, for example, like if I was like let's say it was a small tribe instead of you know me and like hundred thousand random people paying this insurance, and there was one person that stopped paying, and we like it's nice for him because we won't let him die, but it's terrible for the rest of us. So you know, or if one person becomes like a super user where like they just, you know, they have a million dollars of bills uh, a year, and it's kind of hanging on. It's nice for him that he can we re- re- keep him alive, but for the rest of the people, it kind of screws us. But so. that's
0: that's the business model of insurance. That's yeah. that's insurance. Actually, um, the the idea behind insurance is a huge collective paying uh, covering the risks of the individuals, and of course, you have an every collective uh, all these these minor costs you were talking about, breaking a leg and something, yeah. and you have um, uh, hopefully a small number of. Uh, how did you call them heavy like, users yeah but I they did know. not choose to be heavy users
1: yeah but they could choose a stopping heavy user yeah. <laughs> they should just volunteer but like okay yeah. costing you guys too much money guys I'm just gonna I'm gonna tap out <laughs> take, take me yeah. off this uh, yeah, this coma that's, yeah <laughs> that's one
0: one possible solution I just wanted to um, in the end uh, of that topic uh, just tell you how I am doing that yeah, it was my my personal solution um, and that's uh, I've started early um, when, when I got uh, fully uh, self-employed right after school with 19 I opted in Germany for the private system I was then for two years with one company that I did not like so much and then uh, since 2003 I'm with one company called Barmenia and as I found out this was not uh, one of the reasons why I chose them but fortunately I found out that they are one of those companies who are most friendly when it comes to international coverage. I started back then with, uh, how old was I, 21, Um, with a monthly premium of 250 euros and an annual deductible of uh, 340 euros. As of today, I'm paying uh, something like a bit less than 350 euros a month, uh, but have a high deductible now of 1,440 euros uh, per year. And with that, I decided to, to stick with that. Um, because uh, I have unlimited worldwide coverage. Okay. And um, I have to plan for uh, living this nomad life first as long as possible. And second, um, don't want to be dependent on any state system and government and, and public uh, system. I still want to be um, independent and the contract partner of my, my doctor, myself.
1: That's great. I you, you had mentioned something way earlier about how... The free insu- health insurance in Europe is not really free because you're actually paying into it per month. Yeah, sure. Do you know how much approximately that would have been? Where you were,
0: it's different in every country and uh, depending on the standard. Like in Germany, yeah. the standard is still quite high, and. Um, it uh, Even the um, the membership for self-employed is depending on their income. So, so like, you can start with, if yeah. you have a really low income of less than 1,000 euros a month, uh, you pay about 200 euros for the health insurance. 200? And if you, yeah, that's the cheapest That's option. still a lot, actually. Yeah, of and course. And it's
1: funny that people think it's, they assume it's free but it's 200 not, for not the, at, the, and the actually lowest. This is
0: And this is the price since this year. They have changed it wow. uh, until last year. It was the double. You had, uh, minimum uh, was 419 euros. Really? Something
1: that you paid a month as uh, self-employed with low income in Germany. And, and the thing is, if you're not self-employed, it just comes out of your salary. So you don't see it, but you're basically getting paid 400 euros less a month than, than you would have been. It's
0: 14.6% of your income if you're employed, plus an, a little additional um uh, uh, premium of an average uh, 0.9%. So basically you pay uh, 15% of your salary in the in the public system which is a bit of eyewashing because on your on your salary statement uh, will only occur 7.8% because there is one half that you pay as an employer and the other half as an employee but basically for your employer it's all the part of the
1: employment costs so in the end as an employee you pay basically you pay everything that's something that's really funny because people don't realize that i think every european i've ever spoken to they're like, oh, yeah, we got free health care. It's so, so amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, people talk about that like that, uh, especially in the UK, where it works like that. You don't have a direct uh, directly connected to payments, uh, but it's coming from the taxpayer's pocket. So it's the it's the, the national budget that funds the NHS, um, which is super inefficient and super expensive. Um, and most people go for minor treatments to private doctors and pay that out of their pocket. But I was just talking about the, the minimum uh, amount you pay in, in Europe with uh, little income, if you have an income of more than uh, fifty-five thousand, so that's the the, the big threshold, um, uh, then that's you pay the maximum amount, which is this year eight hundred and fifty euros a month. Wow! But it, it won't go over that, so it's it's always between two hundred minimum and eight hundred and fifty maximum. That's
1: crazy. That's eight hundred fifty euros a month for health insurance. For but, s- yeah. yeah,
0: but I mean, you, you still need to take into account uh, this is not a imaginary number someone invented. This is the actual costs... Of, uh, of healthcare. And if people think, yeah, now I'm in my in my 20s and I get that plan for 50 euros from safety wings or, or wherever, um, then this is just a cheap offer working in your age group. But if you wanted to take into account a whole society and that's basically on your individual perspective, the things that will come up later when you're old, those uh, 50% of the costs that happen in your last two years, if you sum that up and, and take the average, of every individual that's what healthcare really costs
1: healthcare is overpriced i think and and i think a lot of it is known that no one ever talks about is why it's overpriced you know I, I know in the us at least and that's a completely different
0: topic yeah. yes of course you can and 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 you, uh, germany isn't uh, even among the the most
1: expensive countries wow. here but i i really thought that you guys had a kind of more control but that that would definitely be uh, another an, another you know eight podcasts to talk yeah. about all i'll the give pongs. you just one quick yeah.
0: example because i have that in my head um as i told you i'm earning my money in children's health insurance i know some costs uh, connected to children and giving birth a uh, usual birth uh, costs in in uh, germany including the um How do you call that when I cut cut C-section? Yeah, C-section. It's about 3,500 euros. And that's not expensive. If you go to Switzerland, you pay uh, 20,000 easily. Mm -hmm. And if you do that in a hospital in the US, uh, it will be around 20,000
1: US dollars for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. So the only... Okay, so the good thing is...
0: And by the way, oh. uh, pregnancy and, and cost of birth are usually not included in the basic plans for international digital nomads' coverage. So girls, um, it, sometimes it happens faster than expected. Um, so take condoms with you and uh, look in your health insurance plan um, before you go out drinking.
1: Yeah, well, I think what we can kind of learn from all this uh, is there's a lot of things we can take advantage of while we're young and while we're kind of carefree. And these are things that... We don't really think about when we're twenty-five or even thirty-five, and we're just traveling and we say, "Oh, like I don't know how long I'm going to do this for. I'm just having fun."
0: And actually, most digital nomads of that age uh, don't even make the money to be able to to pay for that. And that's totally fine if you're if you're young and in your twenties and then go with a cheap plan. But as soon as you uh, start earning some real money and uh, are in your early or mid 30s, you should seriously uh, think about that yeah. topic.
1: I mean, someone could I mean, I guess it doesn't matter that much about age. It's more like, let's say, once you start making over X amount, 50 grand, 100 grand a year, a year, whatever it is, then it's something you definitely look into. But I would say, I would actually say, regardless, if you, even if you're making 100 grand plus a year, if you're 25 or 35, I would still just recommend. Just use, you know, annual travel insurance or like, you know, um, travel medical insurance, like safety wing. And then when you, if, if you get pregnant or if you start getting a bit older, you know, and you're like, okay, this is, this is time, then move back to Europe, move back to wherever you're from, jump back on the normal plans and then you'll be set and all that money that you would have saved as long as you're invested in and just blow it, hopefully that, you know. Financially, it, it seems like from the math that we're doing that by not paying the 600 bucks a month from 25 to 55, and if you actually invested that $600, you'd be super well off, even if you're now paying, you know, a thousand euros a month for health insurance because you're older.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's always a good idea to um, save money for the unforeseen but i mean health insurance is uh, the the reason why why it is so expensive is um the unforeseen here can be uh, something that's really out of reach by by saving for it. As, as coming back to to the broken leg, broken leg is that's really minor costs from a perspective of a health insurance company. The really severe stuff is uh, something that you can't afford as an individual anymore, even uh, if you're well off. Yeah, and that's where you where that uh, insurance jumps in.
1: All right. Well, um, I it's, <laughs> it's been an hour, but I still want to talk about Estonia and the e-residency. It's. I think this is a uh, one of the big kind of big topics that I, I hope nobody uh, like was listening to this podcast just for that and and but hopefully you, you learned something uh, and had a lot of things to think about anyways. Um, but uh, Christoph was one of the workshop leaders for um, at the Nomad Summit about the Sony E Residency. Who is it kind of for? Like, can can you give us kind of like a brief summary of what it, uh, what it is and then who it's for?
0: this sounds pretty much like a promotion for uh guys tune in for next week's podcast and we make another show for e-residency
1: no no no, no. We, we, we got we gotta talk about it now
0: uh, okay, sure. Um, I, I get no appointments today anymore, so we can, uh, we can do that. Uh, e-residency is something um, that Estonia came up with uh, four years ago. And basically the idea behind it uh, can be e- summarized as government assets. So um, Estonia is uh, by far the most advanced uh, digital society I know. Um, they're in the northeast of Europe, uh, one of the Baltic countries, but also considering themselves a Nordic country you <laughs> Um, and they took the chance uh, after the end of the Soviet occupation to totally rebuild their state system from scratch and made it as digital as possible as as soon as possible. So the Estonian government works paperless since 2003. Estonians are used to vote online for their uh, federal par- for the national parliament since 2005. And as of today, uh, there are only three uh, public services left that you cannot do with your digital ID card which is basically um, things where they want to make sure that a not emotionally involved third-party person makes sure that you have familiarized yourself with the advantages and disadvantages of the transaction. Um, so we're talking about marriage, um, divorce and um, selling property. For these three things, you have to walk up and see a government official. Everything else you can do online and fully digital.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Estonia kind of came out of nowhere as a popular country. Five, ten years ago, no one heard about it. The e-residency, when, when did this come out? Uh, they have celebrated their fourth birthday
0: um, last December. So, yeah.
1: So, I remember right when it came out, everybody was talking about it and how amazing it was. And as an American, I looked into it as well. And it looked like for Americans, there were very few tax benefits for us. Because basically, everything that... the I talked about earlier, I don't need to be registered in Estonia for that. Um, but I think the one big benefit would be if I was doing a lot of business, you know, with, uh, European countries or just other countries in general and I don't want to use my Belize company, I can, you know, be an Estonian company, which seems a little bit more legit than unbleasable LLC. Um,
0: actually, tax is a thing, but one thing um, neither I nor uh, the Estonian government wants to start a conversation with, because there are uh, some um, super interesting advantages of, of that. So coming back to what I just said, how it invo- evolved and how Estonians became a digital society. for. Four years ago then they decided like we're 1.3 Estonians and have this digital infrastructure in place that can easily handle uh, not only 1.3 million but 10 million or whatever. So why not uh, give that digital access uh, to everybody who wants it and who applies for that? So actually everyone can now apply for an e-residency, which is nothing like a residency. This is just a digital access to um, the Estonian jurisdiction. So it gives you the the, the right or the possibility to sign um, legally binding contracts and uh, open up a company run that company fully remotely and um that's the, the main purpose and the main uh, advantage you have, uh, that you can open up a company in a super trusted reputational uh, jurisdiction within the European Union with access to the European single market. And so the basic idea behind that was to democratize um, access to international standard uh, business environment. Super interesting for people, for example, coming from Turkey, where uh, PayPal is uh, not uh, working anymore, Uh, because the uh, Turkish government uh, fucked with them and PayPal said, uh, okay, then no more PayPal in Turkey. But many Turkish entrepreneurs still want to use that as a payment processor. And so they can easily um, get their e-residency, open up an Estonian uh, legal entity, and uh, then
1: work from there. That definitely makes sense. So if you're from anywhere in Africa, the Middle East, or any other country that it's hard to get PayPal, that's a huge benefit of registering a company in Estonia.
0: But of course, um, it's not only working location independently, digital access and hassle-free bureaucracy. Actually, um, Estonia uh, has a a corporate taxation on the table that's super competitive, especially because um, it's a deferred taxation, like you know, from Belize or Georgia does it as well, but no other country in the European Union. So this means... Uh, basically, all your profits are not taxed as long as they stay in the company. So you can use that Estonian legal entity as a vehicle for investment. Um, every money uh, that you don't take out of the company can be reinvested. You can buy um, securities. You, even can, you can even buy um, uh, property if you're into that and uh, build wealth within that uh, company and then only have to pay taxes one day in the
1: future when you take if- if you actually take out cash, right? But then I guess you can just use your company credit card to fly business class and to Vegas to go to the you know the next conference or something.
0: Let's say uh, the Estonian regulation is super cool when it comes to um, to travel costs and yeah. to, to business expenses. Um, So this works ongoing, of course, and also you can pay yourself a salary, which is um, as long as you are not on a personal level a tax resident of Estonia and the service you perform for your company is not performed within the borders of Estonia on a long term basis, not subject to Estonian taxation. So, this means yeah. if you're if you're traveling the world and um, work from Chiang Mai through your Estonian company, pay yourself a salary. Um, this is not subject to Estonian taxation, but to the subject to the taxation that applies on you on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And if you're not tax resident anywhere as a perpetual traveler, not holding a US passport, um, then this is basically um, not taxable anywhere. So how much can you pay yourself? For your salary, wise, there is no limit in that. Uh, it just need to be somehow reasonable, um, reasonably connected to to the company's turnover. So if you uh, if you t- want to take out much more as a salary than the company actually makes, um, wherever you take that money from, um, then this might raise questions. Okay.
1: So, as an example, let's say you know Hans is German. He wants to move to Thailand for the next five years. Step one, he you know, signs off as a German resident a German resident, gives up his his insurance, uh let's say finds another solution for find, yeah, e- finds another solution. That's a better probably a better thing. Uh he starts living in Thailand most of the year, he travels around, you know, and he registers his company in Estonia with the e residency. His company is now making two hundred thousand euros a year and he pays himself, you know, basically the whole two hundred thousand per per year. Or, I, you know, I, I guess let's say he leaves a little bit in, you know, he pays himself a generous salary, he pays himself 15,000 euros a month or something. Is, is that possible?
0: That uh, is possible from an Estonian perspective. But as you open up, he's living, he wants to move to Thailand for five years. That makes him for sure a taxpayer in Thailand.
1: Okay, well, let's say he's not actually living anywhere. He's, he's living, he's a digital nomad and he's in like three months in each country.
0: In this situation, I would uh, also, um, I mean, the answer is easy. Yes, that's not taxable in Estonia. Uh, but if we go further in, in, uh, in this picture, I would say coming back to uh, your talk about investment at the Nomad Summit, a reasonable um, um, scheme here would be he pays himself a salary of uh, three to four thousand euros a month, of which he can easily live anywhere a good life and keeps the rest inside the company. Um, and use it as as a a vehicle for investment as he is having a legal entity here in the European Union, which is then allowed to buy property, gets an an LAE, uh, uh, what's that called, that number for legal legal entities identifier um, to open up a uh, securities account and so... This is basically, I mean, if you're a perpetual traveler, you always know the situation of opening a bank account. You need to prove your address and things like that. Um, if you have a legal entity, a company that provides all that, um, that's the perfect vehicle for for this.
1: Is it pretty easy to open a
0: uh, bank account in Estonia um, at least if you show up in person then it's it's easy uh, that's the thing that doesn't work remotely because the Estonian banks uh, have their own money laundry regulations and, and more advanced uh, KYC process so they really want to see you face to face and, and want to see uh, I mean I think that's very um, on, on a very subjective yeah. level they just want to see that's fine I mean yeah like you
1: can go to Estonia for a week check it out
0: it's definitely worth it I've lived uh, for almost two months in Estonia last year Um, and it's it's a really nice place um, for spending their summer there
1: yeah I actually was almost going to go to Estonia last year for for two months and the reason why I decided not to is I looked at the prices and I was like it is pretty expensive now it's not it's not cheap cheap anymore it's not like Poland cheap or Ukraine cheap anymore
0: yeah of course not I mean it's it's a former uh, Warsaw Pact uh, state uh, in the east uh, but it's one of of those who have developed a lot uh, they've developed
1: a lot they moved to the euro which brings the price up for everything
0: yeah, and and the general uh, um, level of living, um, restaurants, um, it's it's European level, um, so you can expect um, a high quality living there, um, and you pay a reasonable price. But definitely, it's it's worth visiting for several reasons. Um, one is of course nature, landscape. Um, I mean, this country is, has 1.3 million inhabitants, um, but the territory is as big as uh, um, Belgium or the Netherlands, and still about 800,000 Estonians live in the Tallinn area, which makes the country pretty empty. Um, so this is a this is a great countryside. Uh, not many mountains. The highest mountain is 300 meters high, but uh, amazing forests with swamps, uh, a great sauna culture, and making business with Estonians is amazing um you come up with an idea and as this country is so small even the president of estonia is just two phone calls away so uh, for example i ran uh, the half marathon in Tallinn uh, last year in september and uh, mrs president uh, also ran the same marathon so she's really really touchable close to close to the people and this is not like running with uh, 20 security guys around her she was just a participant there
1: oh that's cool yeah. And, and
0: you've seen that uh, with my workshop here um, at the Nomad Summit. We had a, a, a live video call to the Estonian e-Residency Office. And right after that, we had here uh, last week the the official e-Residency Week worldwide, where the, um, the government has organized several events in in uh, seven um, Estonian embassies in the world, in, in Washington, D.C., and, and the closest from here was in, in India. Um, and so we set up as some uh, digital nomads and e-residents around here, an independent community event and as uh, i i've been to the e-residency office i know these people um, i asked them if they could somehow give us support for that that was it was a question of half an hour i talked to some of them on on uh, facebook messenger and half an hour later our event was listed among the official uh, events of the uh, e-residency office that's so cool. that's how working together with estonians works
1: yeah it, it seems like uh, it's I applaud Estonia for taking that first step. I hope more and more countries do something similar or just make it easier to do everything online. It's coming. It's coming. Georgia, for example, is... So Georgia, the country in the Caucasus,
0: is uh, implementing something similar. And also, um, I've heard that Singapore is doing something like this.
1: Yeah, I could see Singapore doing something like that. I I think it could be really smart, the kind of Estonia of the the east of Asia. So I like it. Um, So I guess that's that's kind of the... the next step then, right? So it's, so let's say someone is from the EU. They, you know, they, they give up their... They sign off on, on living there. They find an alternative healthcare. They sign up. Uh, they, they start a company in Estonia, become an e-resident. And they start paying taxes there, which are essential, essentially zero because we're not actually doing any business in Estonia. It depends
0: if, you, if your clients are um, consumers in Europe. Um, you have to put VIT on your bills. And uh, that's, for example, a tax that you pay to Estonia. Then, okay. but so then the underlying yeah. idea, but I mean, just just imagine that uh, is we have about fifty thousand uh, e-residents as of today who have founded about six thousand companies. But um, if Estonia will have uh, ten million e-residents in twenty twenty five, for example, and each of them pays one hundred euros of tax in average a month, then the Estonians themselves don't have to
1: pay any taxes anymore. Because by this scaling, um, there's so much money coming to the country. So let's say you're selling something to somebody in Spain, and you're collecting VAT from that Spanish person. Is that all? Is, is that money going to go to Estonia then for the Estonia residents?
0: I think in the first place, yes, sure. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's kind of rude to Spain, right? Because now, like, let's let me, say everyone buys let everything me, online. Let me think.
0: I'm, I'm not in the consumer uh, industry um, as far as uh, it's, it's VAT liable because uh, insurance um, and insurance intermediaries are uh, all over Europe exempt from VAT. Uh, so I can't answer that question precisely.
1: Okay, it's all right. But I guess it's something to look into, especially if we do e-commerce in, in Europe. But I'm sure there's a ton of other, like, you know, random things that'll come up, questions that'll come up, but I think we've gotten a really good overview of some of the benefits of the e-residency, some of the benefits of living abroad full time and kind of not living in our home country and so- also uh,
0: sorry to interrupt yeah. you here but also estonia is coming up with some ideas for the future uh health insurance is one so you could uh, have, as an e resident m- maybe in future uh pay to the social tax to estonia and they will cover you so they're currently in the in the laboratories uh, of uh, political lawmaking. Uh, they're discussing ideas on what they can provide to these e-residents because basically it's it's not um, happening in the in the current scheme of what social systems look like to to help abroad, but they're looking into that, and they have come up with a startup visa, and uh, so that's actually implemented. If you have a business idea and think Estonia might be the right environment to establish that idea, and there are many reasons for that, like a good um, VC structure and everything, um, you can apply for a startup visa, which then is not did, uh, location independent, but uh, uh, gives you the right to move to Estonia and open your company there. And then you join the family of uh, Skype, which was originally invented in in Estonia, TransferWise wise an Estonian company or pipe uh, Pipedrive. Um, and also they are currently um, discussing a digital nomads visa. And that thing is super interesting because Estonia is a member of the European Union and a member of the Schengen area. And if you get a, a visa by uh, Estonia, that allows you to travel the European Union. Oh, uh, wow. But that is also the reason why the process is so slow, because of course all the other European countries want to talk about that as well and don't want membership states to give out visas like uh, Like candy, candy. (laughs) Um, but uh, this is coming, they are after that and they just need to uh, agree with the other European countries what this should look like to meet their demands and requirements, but Estonia is after a digital nomad visa to Europe.
1: I like it. I I think uh, it's exciting to see what's going to happen in the next, you know, two to 10 years with different countries competing to have location independent, you know, workers, entrepreneurs, digital nomads to base themselves from their country, even just for tax reasons. Just because, I mean, I think even Estonia now, even without collecting taxes or anything, like how much is their fee to register there per year? Um, At first, you need to apply for the
0: e-residency card itself. Um, that's uh, 100 euros of state fee for a card that's valid five years Mm. and with that uh, then you can open up the the company Uh, the state fee for that is uh, 190 euros
1: Per, per, just one time or per month? Just one time.
0: Okay. And uh, then if you are passionate about uh, pushing receipts into the right drawer and do your uh, accounting yourself, which you can do, it's super easy in, in Estonia compared to other countries, um, then you, you don't have any other costs. You If you are liable to VAT, and the threshold here, also super interesting, is €40,000 a year. So if you are dealing with consumers and make less than 40000 a year, you don't have to have a VAT VAT ID and don't have to apply VAT um, if you're over that uh, or or apply for the VAT ID for other reasons then you have to make a monthly uh, VAT uh, tax statement which you still can do on your own it's in English and there is even a accounting software issued by, by the government by the tax authority which some people work with but I highly recommend you if you are really doing business uh, and don't want to waste your time on, on uh, bureaucracy or uh, Uh, like accounting, uh, to use a local company service provider. There are specialized ones um, uh, who uh, work with um, digital nomads, Um, so solopreneurs with one shareholder, one director of the company and digital goods only, and they start from €79 a month flat rate for all the accounting stuff and everything.
1: Okay, very cool. So uh, to kind of sum it up, wrap it up, I would say, uh, in general, and read us in this episode if you need to, because I know there's a lot of information. Uh, but if you're American, there's there's not a huge huge benefit for you right now. Uh, of but course, c- there is. Keep eye out. <laughs> I don't think there is because even like as example, like I have a, I technically am a, a getting paid by my my Belize company, and that's who owns my company, but. Under that company is a Wyoming company with a U.S. bank account. So when people pay me, like when clients pay me, they're not sending money to Belize. They're sending money to my Bank of America account. That's see, based in Wyoming.
0: Yeah, so you came to a little bit more complicated structure yeah. from first sight, and especially for for nomads who start from the beginning, they might want to don't don't want to mess with uh, several level company structures. But actually, yes, if you start making solid money, uh, then something like this makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, so you know, I think as Americans, I personally don't really see any benefit for me personally to to do the residency and. In in Estonia, but I see a ton of benefit for Europeans uh, and definitely people from countries like anywhere in Africa or Middle East where that's hard to get. PayPal and also as an American as soon as you have
0: uh, business partners or even consumer clients on the European market so they, they might be in your not in your uh, business case Johnny mm-hmm. but uh, many others um, who have interests in uh, the European uh, single market and then Estonia has a good offer on the table
1: okay yeah definitely I guess we we'll look into that if you guys are just selling you know primarily in Europe um, the one um, downside right now to what I've heard about uh, Estonia is uh, Stripe doesn't doesn't allow you to register in Estonia. That was kind of correct until last
0: week. Uh-huh. Uh, there was already a workaround, uh, but just uh, last week uh, Stripe announced um, that they ended their beta phase and are now uh, working on the Estonian market.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Oh, man. you know what? Lydia's gonna be very happy because she was looking to, to see where to register, and that was the only thing was stopping her. So perfect. So it sounds like it's getting better and better every day. So. Yeah,
0: they're really after that. I mean, they have a dedicated team of, I think, like 15 to 20 people now, want to be 30 by the end of the year. And that's the, that's the e-residency office in, in Tallinn. And they are super uh, communicative. Uh, they're, um, they're administrating the, the Facebook group. Uh, you can talk to them directly. And they, they really uh, take up on, on the demands of the community and, and see where this goes to and where this leads to. And just in December, um, there has been a huge white paper, Um, published by uh, the Estonian president, the uh, e-Residency 2.0 white paper, where they definitely committed to uh, developing this whole program further after all the the learnings from the first first four years.
1: Perfect. So if you're from a country where you need to pay tax somewhere and you would rather pay it somewhere like Estonia, where the tax rate just happens to be zero take a look into it.
0: No, it's not as easy <laughs> as that. It's not as easy as that because you always need to consider what's your personal uh, your your um, tax residency on a personal level yeah. and uh, what's company taxation. And if you uh, are on a permanent basis tax resident of a country like Germany with very strict CFC rules and your um, your business entity is uh, nothing else like a virtual company letterbox in in a foreign uh jurisdiction then uh, German uh, corporate taxation applies on that company anyway. And um, then at least from a tax perspective, you have no advantages. You still have the advantages of not being a forced member of a chamber of commerce and, and super easy bureaucracy and super easy bookkeeping. Um, but the, the tax um, is not uh, one bullet point on the list anymore. If you are a general taxpayer in most of... The jurisdictions in the world.
1: Okay, but if you're not paying tax anywhere because you're not, you you kind of you sign off and say I'm not, I'm no longer living in Germany or in whatever country you're from, then this is kind of where you can kind of put your business funnel everything through.
0: And there are a lot of jurisdictions in the world uh, who are not interested in your foreign income. Yeah, okay. Panama, for example. If you're a Panama tax resident, uh, then they don't care about your Estonian company.
1: All right, so I hope this wasn't uh, too much information for everyone. If it was, uh, go back, listen to it again. I'm not sure there's a ton of things we missed. Uh, but you can also uh, find kind of some more information in the show notes. We'll have links to uh, Christoph sites, the Estonian uh, eResidency webpage. And if you want to ask any questions, you can either leave a comment on the the show notes page, or um, just go to the Nomads Summit Facebook group. Uh, we'll, we'll share there with the Travel Like a Boss Facebook group. Uh, I'm sure Christoph can go in there and answer some questions. If people want to find you, uh, what's the best way for, for me to reach you? Twitter. Twitter? Yeah. Well, what's your,
0: your handle? Mr. Hoopner. Uh, we will we will add that in the show notes okay
1: mr hubner on
0: m-r-h-u-e-b-n-e-r that's my twitter handle
1: perfect and if you guys want to follow me it's at johnny fdk on twitter so uh thanks so much uh for being on the show dankeschön for coming see again and i'll see all of you guys next week hopefully somewhere in the world and um that's it we're signing off how do you say how do you say bye auf wiedersehen